Chapter thirty four of The Law and the Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. The Law and the Lady by Wilkie Collins. Chapter thirty four. Glen Inch. Aha, said Benjamin complacently. So the lawyer thinks, as I do, that you will be highly imprudent if you go back to Mr. Dexter. A hard-headed, sensible man, the lawyer, no doubt. You will listen to Mr. Playmore, won't you, though you wouldn't listen to me? I had, of course, respected Mr. Playmore's confidence in me when Benjamin and I met on my return to the hotel. Not a word relating to the lawyer's horrible suspicion of Miserrimus Dexter has passed my lips. "'You must forgive me, my old friend,' I said, answering Benjamin. "'I am afraid it has come to this. Try as I may, I can listen to nobody who advises me. "'On our way here I honestly meant to be guided by Mr. Playmore. "'We should never have taken this long journey if I had not honestly meant it. "'I have tried, tried hard to be a teachable, reasonable woman. "'But there is something in me that won't be taught. "'I am afraid I shall go back to Dexter.' Even Benjamin lost all patience with me this time. "'What is bred in the bone,' he said, quoting the old proverb, "'will never come out of the flesh. "'In years gone by you were the most obstinate child "'that ever made a mess in a nursery. "'Oh, dear me, we might as well have stayed in London.' "'No,' I replied. "'Now we have travelled to Edinburgh. "'We will see something interesting to me, at any rate, "'which we should never have seen if we had not left London.' My husband's country house is within a few miles of us here. Tomorrow we will go to Glen Inch. Where the poor lady was poisoned, asked Benjamin, with a look of dismay. You meant that place? Yes, I want to see the room in which she died. I want to go all over the house. Benjamin crossed his hands resignedly on his lap. I try to understand the new generation, said the old man sadly, but I can't manage it. The new generation beats me. I sat down to write to Mr. Playmore about the visit to Glen Inch. The house in which the tragedy had occurred that had blighted my husband's life was, to my mind, the most interesting house in the habitable globe. The prospect of visiting Glen Inch had indeed, to tell the truth, strongly influenced my resolution to consult the Edinburgh lawyer. I sent my note to Mr. Playmore by a messenger and received the kindest reply in return. If I would wait until the afternoon, he would get the day's business done, and would take us to Glen Inge in his own carriage. Benjamin's obstinacy, in his own quiet way, and on certain occasions only, was quite a match for mine. He had privately determined, as one of the old generation, to have nothing to do with Glen Inge. Not a word on the subject escaped him until Mr. Playmore's carriage was at the hotel door. At that appropriate moment, Benjamin remembered an old friend of his in Edinburgh, "'Will you please excuse me, Valeria? My friend's name is Saunders, and he will take it unkindly of me if I don't dine with him to-day.' Apart from the associations that I connected with it, there was nothing to interest a traveller at Gleninch. The country around was pretty and well cultivated, and nothing more. The park was, to an English eye, wild and badly kempt. The house had been built within the last seventy or eighty years.' Outside it was as bare of all ornament as a factory, and as gloomily heavy an effect as a prison. Inside the deadly dreariness, the close oppressive solitude of a deserted dwelling, wearied the eye and weighed on the mind, from the roof to the basement. The house had been shut up since the time of the trial. 
a lonely old couple man and wife had the keys and the charge of it the man shook his head in silent and sorrowful disapproval of our intrusion when mr playmore ordered him to open the doors and shutters and let the light in on the dark deserted place fires were burning in the library and the picture gallery to preserve the treasures which they contained from the damp it was not easy at first to look at the cheerful blaze without fancying that the inhabitants of the house must surely come in and warm themselves ascending to the upper floor i saw the rooms made familiar to me by the report of the trial i entered the little study with the old books on the shelves and the key still missing from the locked door of communication with the bedchamber i looked into the room in which the unhappy mistress of gleninch had suffered and died the bed was left in its place the sofa on which the nurse had snatched her intervals of repose was at its foot the indian cabinet in which the crumpled paper with the grains of arsenic had been found still held its little collection of curiosities i moved on its pivot the invalid table on which she had taken her meals and written her poems poor soul the place was dreary and dreadful the heavy air felt as if it were still burdened with its horrid load of misery and distrust i was glad to get out after a passing glance at the room which eustace had occupied in those days into the guest's corridor there was the bedroom at the door of which miserrimus dexter had waited and watched there was the oaken floor along which he had hopped in his horrible way following the footsteps of the servant disguised in her mistress's clothes go where i might the ghosts of the dead and the absent were with me step by step go where i might the lonely horror of the house had its still and awful voice for me i keep the secret of the poison i hide the mystery of the death the oppression of the place became unendurable i longed for the pure sky and the free air my companion noticed and understood me come he said we have had enough of the house let's look at the grounds in the grey quiet of the evening we roamed about the lonely gardens and threaded our way through the rank neglected rubberies wandering here and wandering there we drifted into the kitchen garden with one little patch still sparely cultivated by the old man and his wife and all the rest a wilderness of weeds beyond the far end of the garden divided from it by a low paling of wood there stretched a patch of waste ground sheltered on three sides by trees in one lost corner of the ground an object common enough elsewhere attracted my attention here the object was a dust-heap the great size of it and the curious situation in which it was placed aroused a moment's languid curiosity in me i stopped and looked at the dust and ashes at the broken crockery and the old iron here there was a torn hat and there some fragments of rotten old boots and scattered around a small attendant litter of torn paper and frowsy rags what are you looking at asked mr playmore at nothing more remarkable than the dust-heap i answered in tidy england i suppose you would have all that carted away out of sight said the lawyer we don't mind in scotland as long as the dust-heap is far enough away not to be smelt at the house besides some of it sifted comes in useful as manure for the garden here the place is deserted and the rubbish in consequence has not been disturbed everything at gleninch mrs eustace the big dust-heap included is waiting for the new mistress to set it to rights one of these days you may be queen here who knows i shall never see this place again i said never is a long day returned my companion and time has its surprises in store for all of us we turned away and walked back in silence to the park gate at which the carriage was waiting 
on the return to edinburgh mr playmore directed the conversation to topics entirely unconnected with my visit to gleninch he saw that my mind stood in need of relief and he most good-naturedly and successfully exerted himself to amuse me it was not until we were close to the city that he touched on the subject of my return to london have you decided yet on the day when you leave edinburgh he asked we leave edinburgh i replied by the train of to-morrow morning do you still see no reason to alter the opinions which you expressed yesterday does your speedy departure mean that i am afraid it does mr playmore when i am an older woman i may be a wiser woman in the meantime i can only trust to your indulgence if i still blindly blunder on in my own way he smiled pleasantly and patted my hand then changed on a sudden and looked at me gravely and attentively before he opened his lips again this is my last opportunity of speaking to you before you go he said may i speak freely as freely as you please mr playmore whatever you may say to me will only add to my grateful sense of your kindness i have very little to say mrs eustace and that little begins with a word of caution you told me yesterday that when you paid your last visit to miserrimus dexter you went to him alone don't dig that again take somebody with you do you think i'm in any danger then not in the ordinary sense of the word i only think that a friend may be useful in keeping dexter's audacity he is one of the most impudent men living within proper limits then again in case anything worth remembering and acting on should fall from him in his talk a friend may be valuable as witness in your place i should have a witness with me who could take notes but then i am a lawyer and my business is to make a fuss about trifles let me only say go with a companion when you next visit dexter and be on your guard against yourself when you talk turns on mrs bowley on my guard against myself what do you mean practice my dear mrs eustace has given me an eye for the little weaknesses of human nature you are quite naturally disposed to be jealous of mrs bowley and you are in consequence not in full possession of your excellent common sense when dexter uses that lady as a means of blindfolding you am i speaking too freely certainly not it's very degrading to me to be jealous of mrs bowley my vanity suffers dreadfully when i think of it but my common sense yields to conviction i dare say you're right i am delighted to find that we agree on one point he rejoined dryly i don't despair yet of convincing you in that far more serious matter which is still in dispute between us and what is more if you will throw no obstacles in the way i look to dexter himself to help me this aroused my curiosity how miserrimus dexter could help him in that or in any other way was a riddle beyond my reading you propose to repeat to dexter all that lady clorinda told you about mrs bowley he went on and you think it is likely that dexter will be overwhelmed as you were overwhelmed when he hears the story i am going to venture on a prophecy i say that dexter will disappoint you far from showing any astonishment he will boldly tell you that you have been duped by a deliberately false statement of facts invented and set afloat in her own guilty interests by mrs bowley now tell me if you really try in that way to renew your unfounded suspicion of an innocent woman will that shake your confidence in your own opinion it will entirely destroy my confidence in my own opinion mr playmore very good i shall expect you to write to me in any case and i believe we shall be of one mind before the week is out keep strictly secret all that i said to you yesterday about dexter don't even mention my name when you see him 
Thinking of him as I think now, I would as soon touch the hand of a hangman as the hand of that monster. God bless you. Good-bye. So he said his farewell words at the door of the hotel. Kind, genial, clever, but, oh, how easily prejudiced, how shockingly obstinate in holding to his own opinion. And what an opinion! I shuddered as I thought of it. End of chapter 34